everybody welcome back to my podcast this is season three episode two let's get started with the episode alice is in debt my mother always said that my ability to ask for help would be death to me so when i was dumped instead one night it wasn't a surprise that i never went to the hospital i ended up in the night very clearly i was going to the movie theater a local small one that was showing sounds of lambs i have never felt being in streamless around dark topics in fact i would even say i had progressed and massacre as a young child, I suffered from schizophrenia, causing vivid hallucinations and dreams. Then, when I was older, maybe 13, people always told me I was some sort of bait and switch. I dressed in what most people would call frilly. Not in that girly girl way, but I liked wearing old style dresses that went down to my ankles. So when people realized that I wasn't indeed obsessed with her, they would often flee the other way, sometimes literally. Most people considered me on some sort of witch, a taboo, that no one would want to hang out with. For this reason, I always alone, sort of girl. So, going to the movie, I was completely alone. This is important to the story, I promise. It was about 6 o'clock. If I remember correctly, I was walking down the sidewalk towards the movie theater. The neon signs were flickering on and off, either due to low budget or more than a ghost. My shoes were making a faint rhythm tapping sound on the concrete as I approached the theater. I was near in the corner about a block away from destination when someone grabbed me by my hair. I was yanked in the other direction, but whatever just grabbed me. I remember turning around The person who grabbed me was Kirk. Kirk was a kid who went to the same high school as me. He was in his bully and often picked on me for my unusual personality. I hated him, but was too afraid to say anything, for the fear of my madness might land me in large bruises. I remember saying to him, please, what do you want? I'm just trying to see a movie. Kirk pulled something out of his pocket. I couldn't see much in the darkness of the street alley and had pulled me into. He brought it closer to my face and then I realized it was a switched army knife. I started to panic. I had no idea what was going to do with that knife, but I was afraid. Once he pulled that same knife on a girl in class, he had gone to the hospital after he had carved his own initials in her chest. Kirk was a horrible person. I hated him, but I was frozen with fear. Kirk said he was going to make me pay. I asked him why. Why is he going to do this? Kirk didn't answer. Before I had some time to say another word, he drove my body into the ground, making me hit the concrete and knocking all the air out of me. I tried to yell for help, but all that came out was a cough. Kirk kneeled down and, well, you can't infer the rest. He stabbed me with that knife several times, twice in the chest, three times in the stomach. I felt the knife puncture my skin, and let me tell you, a stab wound is not like how movies portray them. The knife doesn't go in smoothly, only a small amount, but it goes out. No, when you get stabbed, there's only one moment where the skin is a little good, and then the tickles noises as the knife goes into you. The blood spills everywhere. 
on the killer's face, all over the victim as well, and the pain, the unmanageable steering pain. I felt it rise through my entire body, making me black out. Only a portion of the killer's face still is visible. I saw Kirk leave, wiping his hands on the black pants and running away, my blood still on his shirt. I was still breathing. I had been stabbed five times, and I was still breathing. I knew I had to get myself to the hospital. But at the same time, well, didn't doctors already had enough on their plate? Don't they have patients to treat? If I go there, someone could die while I get fixed. No, I can't go to the hospital, I thought to myself. So I didn't. For five minutes, I lay there in the alley, bleeding and crying, fighting the pain that had taken a hold of my body. I felt hot tears steam down my cheeks as my fingers twitched. My breathing became slower and slower. This is it, I thought my myself. Everything has done in my life, and it's all led to this. I hope I go to heaven, and eventually, my breathing stopped altogether. Then, it was a defending silence. But for some reason, I was still alive? No, alive was not the right word for it. Suddenly, I was standing over my dead body, looking down on it. Blood stained the front of my dress. What was once a lavender color was a dark crimson color. I stepped away from my body, panicking and sickening. I backed up against the wall, trying to get far away from the corpse as possible. No, not the corpse, my corpse. My corpse, that's a funny thing to think about, isn't it? One moment you're alive, and next you're not. This is no signal, no flying light or angel. It's just a moment alive, and next dead. Anyways, I had entered some sort of an intellect state, I assumed. I was always a very religious girl growing up in a very Christian family. So naturally, when I saw myself standing above my own dead body, I assumed I had to reincarnate in some sort of angel. Unfortunately, this was not the case. I backed away of the alleyway, unable to take my eyes off my own cadaver. Eventually, I turned the corner and walked into the street. It was like nothing had happened. People were still going about the evening, still walking and talking, completely unaware that a young girl had just been stabbed to death. It looks like time had passed though, maybe three hours. The sky was darker, and although the amount of pollution blocked out the sun of the sky, I assumed someone would have taken notice of a bloodstained dress. But such as not the case. I walked aimlessly around the crowd, slowly wandering home. The truth was, I was afraid to return home. I was confused and scared, and I knew my parents didn't even know that their baby girl had just been killed. I was freaking out, but slowly and surely I made it to my small apartment. The steps of the building were still the same as they always were. I eventually made my way to the elevator, stepping in with people who barely took notice of me. It was as if they were simply staring right through me. I waited patiently as the lift made it slowly journey up to the fourth floor, where my residence was. I opened the door to my parents' apartment. My mother and father were talking. They looked concerned. Alice hasn't returned from the theater yet, they said. I hope she's all right, said my father, wiggling his hands together until his knuckles went white. I felt tears shrink down my eyes. I watched my parents talk unknowingly about my death. Just a few hours before, it's agony, you know, to watch your own parents cry in front of you. Suddenly, the confidence of idolizing 
just had to put them melt away. And the real show thought. It's sort of comforting as well to see their human side. They put out a missing post to the next day, filed a missing persons report, and waited. I watched them cry and hug each other. I watched my own parents devastated by my disappearance. A couple of days later, they found my body. My parents were even more grave-stricken. My mother was weeping day after day, while my father became reckless and started drinking again. All the while, I could do nothing but stand by their side. My mother and father never noticed me when I comforted them, and that made me sad. Over time, my parents grew older and older. I watched the entire things through. My mother died of cancer at age 80. My father died a couple years after that, from alcohol poisoning. I was sad, but there was a part of me down deep down I was relieved. I wouldn't have seen my parents moan anymore. Part of me thought they would return like I had, but they never did. Day after day, I waited patiently by the sofa. Days turned into months and into years. Eventually, a new family moved in. They had a little girl. Her name was Daisy. She was a sweet girl, only 11 at the time. I took a liking to her, as I could sort of see myself in her. She was a bookish like me, and president from ghost stories and Victorian era culture. I watched her for a couple of months from the door of her bedroom. One day, I got too close. Daisy noticed me for the first time. I had never seen anyone acknowledge me since my death five years ago. No one ever. But Daisy somehow saw me. I explained that my name was Alice and that I had used to live here before I died. She said she had heard about ghost stories from her friends about me. She also told me that my dress was pretty. After that, we became fast friends. I was Daisy's imaginary friend, and for a while, that was all I needed. But then I began to become jealous. Daisy was always hanging out with her family, her mother, father, and brother. She didn't spend much time with me anymore. One day, I was asked, Daisy simply said that her family was real and that I was not. I became relentless of Daisy, making things in the house suddenly worsened by moving items, breaking things without family knowing. Daisy, of course, knew everything. After that, she stopped talking to me completely, and I felt sad. I was no longer restful, and I wanted my old friend back. Daisy was the only person I had been able to talk to in years, and the whole life returned, and now she was gone too. I had never had a real friend in my life, but the moment I got one, I immediately pushed her away. I began to cry. I cried for days, just like my parents. I now understood the pain of losing someone dear to you. I watched in agony as Daisy laughed and played with her family day after day. Eventually, I began devising a plan the way to get Daisy to be with me forever. When the time finally came and the night was right, I executed my plan. Daisy was asleep in her room, snowing softly from the other side of the hallway. I slowly walked to the kitchen and took out the biggest kitchen knife that the family owned. I quietly walked to Daisy's brother's room. I opened the door slowly, making sure the boy did not wake up. I walked over to the side of his crib. The boy was maybe about three years old, still tiny. 
I inhaled deeply. I stabbed him. He didn't cry or scream or had anticipated. He just died. Bled just as I had. I looked down as the blood soaked my palm and looked at the blood soaking the crib, jumping slowly onto the floor. And for the first time in a long time, I smelled. Went to the next room and stabbed both the adults. Their blood looked the same as well. Next morning, when Daisy woke up, she thought everyone was just sleeping late. Even her brother, who usually was crying for the, the morning, was quiet. I watched as Daisy ran to her parents' room down the hall, excited yelling that she had woken up early this time. I watched as she pulled open the door, only to see her horrifying sight in front of her. Her parents' bodies both dragged in front of the bed and propped upright, showing off the stab wounds in the their stomachs. I watched in satisfaction as she cried out in horror, bursting into tears. She sobbed and hugged her parents' body. She turned around. I think Daisy knew that I had done this. Why? Why did you do this? She cried out to me. To be with you forever, I replied. And now there is no one in our way. Daisy left me soon after that. Now I had no one again. So, dear readers, would you like to be my friend? guys that was a creepy story i did not expect the ending at all so in the description of this episode i'm gonna have my link to my main channel my second channel and i have an announcement day to i finally got discord and you guys can actually message me on discord so i'm gonna link that below to you and i'll see you guys in my next episode